Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I'm just your typical Spike. On the line with me, economist and producer extraordinaire, Cameron McCoy. Cameron, it's a shame that the audience won't see all the charts, diagrams that you've whipped up to help illustrate everything that's going on. I mean, I got a computer-generated Wolf Blitzer ready to go, right? Oh, nice. I mean, that's where we're at. Nice. Wait. You're saying Wolf Blitzer is a real person? <laughs> so confused. So confused. I mean, the man the man can read copy. Let's just get that oh, out of the way, Cameron. That's right, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so look, we know there's a MTG Arena uh, economy stream. We want to kind of talk about that in depth. I do largely think we're going to have a lot of critical things to say. Mm. <laughs> But I want to lead off with actually playing Magic the Gathering because I think there's a lot that's good to say here, you know, and um, tell me what you've been up to, dude. Yeah, so uh, this week, mainly blue-white control and standard, and then I spent like Thursday night just goldfishing my Pioneer deck, uh, which is also kind of blue-white control and shares a lot of DNA with uh, what's going on in standard right now. Um, specifically, I want to talk to you about Wandering Emperor and where I believe its place is in terms of four mana white planeswalkers, right? The white, white planeswalker that has really kind of occupied this space that was for the longest time four mana Elspeth, which, you know, you create a one, one token and plus one, plus one. It's a like legit great card. And then a lot of people started moving over to like the four mana Gideon, which is a legit great card. But I really do think that like um, the Wandering Emperor is up there as far as like the power level and just like the like what you can do with this. The ability to remove a tapped creature like in flash is so incredibly good. On top of. Um, where my mind has been at for a long time, which is in a blue-white Stoneblade list, having, like, whatever creature, Snapcaster Mage with the Umazawa's Jit connected to it, all of a sudden I can flash this in, give it plus one, plus one, and first strike now with Wandering Emperor. Just seems kind of, like, absurd in some ways. Um, In getting to that four-mana spot, obviously, that's late game hardly ever happens within the Stoneblade list, but dude, it's got me jazzed for like goldfishing and playing Legacy right now in a way that I haven't seen in a long time, all on the back of Wandering Emperor. Okay, so I agree. Um, this is I've also been playing a blue-white standard list, and um, I think a lot of these lists are garbage. <laughs> I just want to get that out of the way. I think a lot of the mana construction is awful. I think a lot of these kind of like choices that people are making, and I know it's like they're posting on the ladder or they're playing a turn in an MTG melee, and a lot of these things just don't look honed to testing the way that decks used to, right? (coughs) For example, I think the four mana Teferi is quite terrible in these decks. Like genuinely does almost nothing. Mm. You are almost always better just running a memory deluge. And the whole deck, the whole operation is propped up by Wandering Emperor. You win so many games because of this. And so I would go so far as to say 
This is the best control card printed in standard in quite some time. Let's throw out modern uh, Horizons, Super Street Fighter II Turbo Championship Edition, whatever <laughs> crap they printed that's mm -hmm. like supplemental. I'm talking like actual standard cards that have become legacy modern pioneer standard cards. Like we've gotten a lot of lands, right? Like the castles and stuff like that. Sure. But this is like, if you're a control deck, this is the four mana planeswalker you want. Yeah. Um, because you can hold up a counter spell, but then it effectively can become a counter spell in the scenarios you're describing. <coughs> but it also is a removal spell. So you can essentially pump your creature, negate whatever it is that they're doing. Like, it's really hard for you to come up with a scenario in a control deck where this doesn't become a two-for-one, right? And I've had many times in standard, because I've only been playing in standard, where I create the two-two, block one of their things, my turn comes, I plus one and kill their Planeswalker. I mean, it is just the most vicious stuff. Yeah. And exactly what you're looking for because, look... The Wandering Emperor, she's touring the facility and picking up slack, right? Right. She is finding exactly what's going on with this with you know, this match of magic and saying, Okay, you need a creature right now, you need to kill a creature, you need to like pump a creature. It's awesome. So I'm there with you. Um But dude, like these decks, I I played one and I was like, man, this man is kind of rough. Twenty lands and mm -hmm. six dual face cards. So, a massive amount of your mana base is coming into play tapped. Yeah. Uh, a massive amount of your mana base can be duress, etc. I, oh, man. I, I've gone through version after version after version of this deck, and I really just need to tune my own. Because, dude, so, they're so bad. Like, the, so much of the deck has to revolve, really needs to be on Otherworldly Light, Wandering Empire, these, these cards that are like, super duper strong and i'm just playing this teferi that taps the thing yeah but doesn't even keep it tapped during the our untap step like what is that yeah right it works in the terms of like that combo deck that was around like four months ago sure okay but like what are you actually doing with that against your opponent if it's not some sort of broken combo right yeah, they want, like, basically, it becomes, the best scenario is, I tap one of their creatures, so I can attack with a token that I may or may not have, again, unlikely, and then I get to untap a land, and then my bank buster, or something. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, that was four mana, but oftentimes when I'm up against it, that thing is just stinky. Woo! Mm -hmm. You know, whenever you're against Monored or something like that, and yeah, I get it, you gain some life, but like... Whenever you do this untap shenanigans, but it's not enough to mitigate the fact that you are doing nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's four mana gain to life. It's so bad. There's some other stuff that's like really bad. But um, I want to ask you this on standard: Have you have you been playing? And maybe it's just because I'm super low on the ladder or whatever. Like a wider variety of decks than I'm seen on Goldfish. I played against like hmm. Mill Combo. I've played against Vampires werewolves like really a diverse group okay uh i have not <laughs> in fact <laughs> i would say the majority of what i've been playing is either the mono white deck i uh, playing against is the mono white deck or the black white mid-range control list the lulf list 
Um, yeah. That's I, I've seen that so often lately, like so often to the point of like, I feel like I need to do a different deck just to see if maybe I get paired against something else because yeah, man, like I just have not been enjoying like the seeming lack of variety that I've seen on, on standard. So weird, man. Maybe it's just me. And I don't, I mean, look, something's got to drive that algorithm. We don't know if it's just actually just your rank, if you're buying into events, if you're paying real cash in, mm-hmm. how many, you know, it could be something as arbitrary as how many wild cards have you cashed out? And, and does that indicate what kind of deck that you're going to play? Whatever. I don't know if it's a better experience to play in the events. And maybe that's just what I need to be doing with my time. Sure. I used to do that with Historic a lot. And that was, I mean, I wouldn't say profitable, but. Uh, I usually got better returns. Uh, however, dude, like I've been playing all kinds of things, especially since I've been playing Standard Delver. And this is what me- makes me think there's something up with the algorithm because that deck is ridiculous. Um, you know, it's one of those half the time it works every time kind of decks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whenever it falls on its face, oh, dude, it's so bad. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> Like, there are times where you're, like, playing against the mono-white deck, and they have, like, six creatures in play, and you have one Delver of Secrets. <laughs> you know, it's like, you can get into those moments that are, like, especially pre-board, that are real rough. Um, but, I, and I think I said this last week, the fun about uh, any Delver deck, and especially this Delver deck is that's in standard, every win you get, you felt like you stole it. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. like, you just felt like you just... You're such a master that you've got them <laughs> right at zero. Um, but, I mean, I there is that feeling of satisfaction, however false. You know, there are these moments where they're at four and you have two shocks in your hand. It's like, you know, <laughs> that's just how the math works out. But, man, there's something about, like, oh, if you get them right at zero, that's, it's more skillful, right? Yeah. Um, it's like a hole-in-one. Uh, but yeah, dude, if you're looking for a change of pace, and again, you almost certainly have that deck on Arena. There is, yeah, it sounds like not, there is not a lot to it. And uh, hey, your your opponents love it. You, th- there's no chat on Arena, but they do love it when you flip two Delvers on turn two. <laughs> like that's just a real party. Um, any other thoughts on uh, this blue white list? Yeah, uh, no. I mean, it's. It's fine, but yeah, like to your point, the the amount of like dual faced cards, like I just feel like we're being a little too greedy because everything is coming into play tapped. And against Mono White, that's the last thing you need. Yeah, and whenever they're a Thalia deck, like the thing that Luminarch Aspirin really enables along with Thalia is they don't they really have the ability to play around a wrath mm-hmm. or really hold off, right? It'd probably be a lot worse if they had Faithless Haven. So, I mean, I guess we've got that going for us. But, yeah, there's just, on my side, I've been taking too many lists, and I feel like they're way too passive in terms of blue-white control. And I just, like, I just can't imagine a scenario. Like, I think one of, most of the lists I see are two or three Wandering Emperors. There's, to me, there's just no way you shouldn't play four. Like, mm-hmm. it is, and same with Otherworldly Light. Like, why am I, I almost never play pay the alternative cost, by the way. And it's yeah. still bananas like you just get rid of their rolling vortex or like i ended up winning a game because i was able to otherworldly light a guy's hedron crab nice you know yeah um it's just (laughs) again these cards that are real fix-alls and like i I don't know if your blue white lists are like this too sorry to make this like a diatribe about the construction of these control decks um 
Leer is like you they they make all these design concessions to Leer, so there's like almost no counter spells in the deck. But Leer is only in the sideboard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's such no. a strange put those <laughs> counter spells in. You need them. <laughs> yeah, and like if they've got a Leer down, then I've got bigger problems at that mm-hmm. stage. Mm-hmm. Um and look, guys, I just I, I mean to me one hull breaker horror and control is what you should be doing. That's like the salt yeah. on the steak. You gotta do it. <laughs> I two is way too many probably, but one is just where you need to be, right? Mm-hmm. Classic classico control. Like I mean, you just want yeah. that one big baddie, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Cameron, well, I, I want you to put on, get out your uh, your charts, your laser pointer, your your spreadsheets. Let's talk economy. We'll be right back. All right, Cameron. So Thursday, they had a talk uh, about the MTG economy. And I mean, look, when we're saying economy, what they really mean is payment system. It's not a... Yeah. I'm not selling anything. You know what I mean? Like, uh, economy in a loose sense, I suppose. But there is a lot of stuff to talk about here. I think it's really easy to jump into the... um, are they paying any kind of attention stuff? Uh, but there are a few positives. Okay. Go on. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to hit you with a few of them. Okay. First of all, I, and I'm looking at the show notes and I realized that I did not divide them up this way. They're just kind of all <laughs> over the place. So sorry, dude. Um, hey, number one, soon you will be able to set your favorite basic land. And I think we can all agree <laughs> that is a long overdue change. Thank you, God. Yeah. And they, quote, have heard us, and they've realized... Now, like, if you watch the video, it is really, really, really interesting in terms of the psychology of them, like the Watsi employees and kind of how they view Arena and from the inside out and, like, the things that they say, like, how we have digital players and tabletop players... And, like, they very clearly separated that out. Hmm. And in their mind, you should have digital formats for digital-only players and paper formats for paper players. And they thought it would be fine if they're, they pulled, they made historic for the digital players and that paper players that want to play non, non-rotating format, well, they can just go play modern, right? Um, and they underestimated people's demand for that on this client. So within huh. a month or two... We will be getting a non-rotating format with digital, uh, with no digital cards. So it's just analogous to paper. They referred to, I think they used the word bridge format that would basically, not like the card game bridge, uh, but like, <laughs> uh, you know, Loretta and Joyce aren't going to be there <laughs> yeah. playing bridge with you. Um, I just realized that was like the most American joke. Apologies to our <laughs> international listeners. Um <laughs> But anyway, uh, that it's eventually going to be straight up Pioneer. It's just they can't deliver on that right away. All right, so Cameron, there's your good news. What do you think? Uh, You know, you had a pretty decent non-rotating format to begin with that you didn't have to put (laughs) the digital cards in. Not to look a gift horse in the mouth. Um, Okay, basic lands. Thank God. I am so excited. Like, that... 
how that was not like numero uno on like their <laughs> to-do list in 2017 is beyond me. But hey, we got it. That's great. Um, yeah, dude. I mean, it's exciting. I'm 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 not criticizing them putting whatever this interim digital format is going to be with non-digital only cards like that's great um how was this not like in your purview four years ago like i mean honestly like the way that they're like separating these two things and saying like well we only have paper magic here and we only have you have one product that is like a really good product why not support it with both the way you were kind of doing with MTGO? Like, why? I, I, I don't get that. Like, that should have been... I mean, I think we every year we have our wish list, right? 2018, what do you guys want to see? Non-rotating format on Arena. You know, <laughs> move forward to today, it's the same thing. It's not rocket science that you, you should be supporting one format on both clients. Dude, and the vibe, so this was like an hour-long stream that I put myself through. Um, and the entire thing had a vibe of the middle manager. You know, uh, I mean, they these guys, they know. Mm-hmm. They know. But they've been given marching orders. Look, as somebody in my business, I've seen a lot of people <laughs> be marched out. Like, you know, in education, a lot of times the, the building level uh, principal, assistant principal is kind of given the orders from the district about what to say and what to do and they're kind of marched out in front of the criticism right like whether it's parents or whoever i mean this and this is the same like if you're a manager at a toys r us right like this is the problem with being a middle manager is you're literally caught in the middle right um and man this this stream is just the most joyless (laughs) delivery of this information you could possibly imagine cameron i mean it is astonishing Uh, how so like i feel like they knew hey we're we're walking into (laughs) a bit of a buzzsaw this is not going to be received super great um it's super obvious to us i bet at that level they knew what they needed to do but you know they were like why do we make this more profitable kind of thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and again the whole thing reeks of oh i've talked about this multiple times but especially last week um the whole thing reeks of the candy crush, you know, TikTok, social media, whatever business model it is where it's like, we want to make it a part of your lifestyle, get you on the hamster wheel, and then get you to pay. YouTube, I would argue, has done this very successfully to people. Um, But they've not done this thing where they've kind of created a premium model for their more advanced customers and like the YouTube premium, whatever that is called, or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Something something that's like, okay, look, we get it. You need to acquire a lot of cards. You're going to play a lot. You're going to be an ambassador for our brand at a lo- small level. So here's the, you know, $15, $20 a month operate, like, system that we'll build in for you. Um, okay, so some medium things. Okay. So, uh... Medium thing number one, uh, historic anthologies are coming back. Okay. Where did they go? Why did they go away? <laughs> right. I don't know. Um, what will they cost in the future? I don't know. But hey, that, that's what I would call a medium. 
Now, this this is a weird one. They're going to launch Mythic Guaranteed Packs for 1,300 gold. Now, obviously, for people like you and me, this is completely unnecessary and probably silly. But I guess if you're the kind of person that drops $200 a set um, or you're like a heavy-duty drafter, um, you don't want to keep buying packs because you just keep getting rares and you've already got a play set of rares, so then you only get whatever that is, 20 gems. So essentially it becomes a really like a cookie clicker of you losing money. Mm -hmm. So if you are short on mythics, but you have all the rares and those people exist, this is a solution for them. Okay. Doesn't affect my life, so whatever. Uh, Constructed events will restructure awards to hopefully give you uh, more cards. I really get the feeling that this is going to be alchemy cards, Cameron. Because oh. alchemy <laughs> is really not doing well, and they want to get those cards out. Uh, they did get asked, like, I, there was a lot of questions that I thought were really good. Things like, why didn't you just make alchemy a pack like the historic <laughs> anthologies? Right? And, I mean, Q, <laughs> Q Nelly's saying, hey, it must be the money. Because that was so obvious the answer. But they can't say that, right? It's like, guys, it's, it's, it's a business decision. Bad news. So if you want to buy a deck right now, and I had to do this earlier this week, you drop 50 bucks into a thing, into gems. That gets you roughly 45 packs. You open all the packs. You get X amount of wild cards. And you hope between that and the rares that you open, you will be able to build a deck, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I did this week with blue-white control. Um, however, they realized that some people would rather just straight up buy the wild cards. The wild card bundle is $50 for 12 rare wild cards and four mythics. Um, and someone posted here. I want to get their Twitter handle correct. Uh, Chatterstorm apparently is a podcast shout out to you guys um they did an update they basically found that this ends up making most standard decks cost what they do in paper there are a few things like blue red dragons that are more expensive in paper but a lot a lot of a lot of them are within 50 dollars of their paper counterpart if you were to plug it into this system so that seems to be where the calculus came from. I don't think Wizards was throwing darts at a board and landed on 50. Um, help me, Cameron, because I was really annoyed. I mean, I would say insulted when I looked at this. Mm-hmm. Help me understand. Help. I, I feel like I'm a basketball coach on the sidelines talking to the referee. Help me uh, understand <laughs> what, <laughs> right. what is happening. You're ejected from the game. Uh <laughs> Dude, I don't know. Um, it, I mean, sure, the math breaks out for like what you pay into a standard deck and then what you can get back out of it. Um, you know, or it's an analog, I guess, to the paper version of it. That's what I should say. The issue that I have is once again, I buy the standard deck. Let's go back to when Theros rotated and I had big Boros. And at that time, I was trying to get into a modern deck. Guess what I was able to do? Sell a lot of those Boros cards to buy a couple of dual lands. 
So I was able to take the physical thing that I owned and convert it into another physical thing that I owned that allowed me to build yet another deck. Um, so yeah, $200 or $250 for blue red dragons or whatever you're going to, whatever standard deck you're going to be purchasing, you're, you're just sinking $250 into MTG arena with nothing, nothing with no ability to convert that into any other sort of paper product. You still can't dust, you know, or anything like that. So you are stuck with those cards. You better hope that you like historic and you want to play blue red dragons in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, <sighs> so first of all, the problem with all this is, like you said, it's not a good that you can sell. Um, <clears throat> it's also insultingly expensive compared to just about every other card game and gaming experience you could have in this world. Like, keep in mind, $50 does not buy you a deck. $50 buys you a fourth of a deck, okay? And they have done nothing to protect consumers in terms of, I mean, if you want to hit me with duplicate protection, like, I would say that's half-hearted. Again, my extra copies of Thalia still hanging out on my account. Why do I have 17 copies of Duress or however many copies of Opt or dual lands when you reprint those with new art? Obviously, the consumer was not considered in those situations. No. And, dude, I'm telling you, like, I dropped 50 bucks into Eternal I don't know how long ago. I haven't logged into that game in a minute. But I could tell you a ton of that currency is still sitting there because they are so outrageously generous with what they give you as a player. Right? And I know Hearthstone has its own problems. But... You would be stunned, Cameron. You would literally be stunned, Cameron, if you watch this, how often they use the expression dusting, like, which is a Hearthstone expression. And they say constantly, oh, well, we, we let you dust up front. That's what the part of the pie is whenever you open a pack. And it's just obviously incorrect. It's obviously incredibly predatory. And... I look, I'm not going to buy this $50 pack. So at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. It's more it's more about the the gesture of it. Mm-hmm. It's just a giant like Oh, yeah, we'll give you that. We'll we'll give you that. And that'll be great, you know. The mm-hmm. monkey's paw is what the expression's been floating around on the internet. This like um sure, buddy. You you can buy some wild cards if that's really what you want. So like just to like get the breakdown because you know, you spend fifty bucks. There, there's like some leftover, right? Like, because you spend fifty bucks, you get ninety two hundred gems or nine thousand two. Yeah, ninety two hundred gems and nine thousand gems gets you forty five packs. So basically, you get three mythics, nine rares, plus forty six rares or mythics, Cameron. Mm-hmm. Forty six, not even commons or non commons. And through the course of this, outside of just dusting, them saying, hey, what about, what about converting just uncommon wild cards to rares? No. Not built for that. Not going to happen. Right? We like you to have a collection. And over and over again in the stream, they say, we understand that players really love opening packs. Okay. 
Uh, did you know uh, opening packs in paper is a lot more fun mm-hmm. than opening packs on? But then talking about that, like, kind of was this eureka moment because I thought, you know what? Opening packs technically seems to be the most well-functioning aspect of the arena <laughs> client. Dude, when you click on sure. a pack, it's got this glorious animation, the surround sound, all this Angels like get that sound effect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, get that dopamine, man. You've opened a pack, right? Um. So anyway, this part was really, really, really heartbreaking, and just made me realize how kind of broken Watsi is in terms of what they're offering, what Arena could be, what it should be, what it's capable of being, and how much the business interest and philosophy is getting in the way of that. I'm not all about like crushing it, like because this this is like the community manager and like the software lead, mm-hmm. not the people making the actual business decisions. <laughs> but to make a stream about this. Yeah. And to like make it an hour long and really so much of it was like this quasi you don't really get it consumer kind of vibe was just really, really obnoxious. And I, I screenshotted you that thing before they said it where they were like, we really want to give you our insights and our perspectives. It's like, dude, nobody wants your insights. We want 20, 30 bucks off this package that you've given us. That's what mm-hmm. we want. I don't really care about your perspective. You know, so sorry, Cameron. I'm like hijacking this whole conversation. I had a lot of emotional buildup watching this. I mean, at the end of the day, and we've said this, I think, months ago, um, you can have profitable business practices and at the same time do something for your user base uh, that is mutual. Right, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, we've said this before, and just based off, I didn't watch the stream, but just based off of your notes and the things that I've seen on Twitter, um, it really just seems like it's so far afield from like, like I, I, I just we're just we're not use like we're just data points at this point as as far as like. Um, well, this this user is engaged this much time, and how much can we milk from them, you know, based off of what they have? And uh, I don't know, man. It's wrong. It just feels wrong. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, look, I'm I'm pretty com- confident in saying there's no way to me that you can't view alchemy as a horrible disaster at this stage. Mm-hmm. And the data probably indicates that too, but. You know, the people that are all about the quote-unquote data a lot of times aren't super honest with themselves about it when things stop going their way. There was this really great Planet Money about uh, this lady that was an executive about Netflix, and she was all about Netflix's cutthroat culture, and if somebody was uh, not no longer efficient or valuable to the company, they had to be let go, and it was nothing personal, blah, blah, blah. That's just how we operate. It's cold, efficient, et cetera. And then she got let go, and then to her it was a travesty, right? And it was like, whoa, 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 lady, you don't get to have it both ways, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And I would suspect that's where they're at it with Watsi. When this, these numbers start to go the other way, when, like, because look, I, the queue time on Arena, like, I'm regularly waiting over a minute for a standard match right yeah. now. And that was, I mean, before it was seconds. Yeah. So 
either the algorithm is saying nobody wants to play this guy or you have less players in your in your system right now. Right? So let's let's just be honest with ourselves about where this pro- product is and what needs to change. But guys, like and if it's going to be super cynical if they come back. We heard your feedback about the $50. Pr- so we're going to lower it to $40. And mm-hmm. so everybody be like, "Oh. Wow, you know. Um anyway. And Again, if you're just a limited only player, you're just sitting in the corner laughing the whole time, right? That's true, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, Cameron. Hey, well, you've been playing some new Mario Kart tracks, so let's get out of the segment, come back, and talk about that. All right, Cameron. So, more Mario Kart, which we can all agree is a good thing. <laughs> Hit me, man. So, like, this is... Did you do the expansion? Would you do the online where it's, like, it was bundled with it? What'd you do? Yeah, I just did the expansion. Um, Really, because this game is for my wife and I. And that is, like, the thing that we have shared. I think I've joked about this in the past. It's marriage counseling for us. Like, if we need to, like, just duke it out, we turn on the Mario Kart, flip on some Chemical Brothers, and, I mean you know, right as rain afterwards, right? <laughs> uh, Cameron, I mean, as I like, as people from Iowa, I just wonder what your fights are with. Yeah. Like, gosh darn it, I'm irritated. You're yeah. being inconsiderate. <laughs> no, you are. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's essentially William H. Macy from uh, uh, Fargo, right? <laughs> no, but um, the new Mario Kart, this is a, I, you want to talk about a great deal $25 gets you a sec- effectively another Mario Kart. Um, yes, it is essentially the same engine and everything from the Wii U version that was released eight years ago, nine years ago now, a long time. But, um, dude, like we're getting additional tracks. And for $25, they release eight tracks a month. So we got you know, two new cups, um, and it plays just like Mario Kart 8, which is not a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination, and you get to play, like, classic Game Boy Advance and GameCube and Super Nintendo, like, all these other tracks now, uh, which is the thing, like, it's incredible. This is the thing that I've always wanted, which is just kind of, like, HD Mario Kart of like all these classic tracks, um, and I'm getting it. Uh, so, I guess I'm saying good on Nintendo for just kind of continuing with this like really great game, kind of reinvigorating it in a way that I wasn't expecting that I wanted, and it's here and it's um it's great and thoroughly enjoyed the new track so far. Yeah, dude, I'm uh, obviously down, ready to go. For some more Mario Kart. And it's like, dude, it's one of those forever games that you can play with your kids. Yeah. You can play with your parents. You know, like it is yeah. it is all those things to all people. Um, and I will always race as Luigi just for the dirty look. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but no, dude, I'm, I'm pumped to play it. I'm, I, before we went on the air, I was seeking your advice in Elden Ring. I've also got Triangle Strategy. Um, mm-hmm. sitting there, which I'm really excited to play. This morning I finished Horizon Forbidden West mm. and um, right at 40 hours and 
it is a very, very, very good game. I do want to point out some stuff. So first of all, I've kind of gone back and forth on the story. The idea of what the story is, I love. And whenever I finished the first one, I was like, well, that seems like it kind of wrapped up. But they've really gotten some cool things going, and that's what I would ask you to stay away from. However, they belabor these cutscenes so much. Like, there is so much talking and explaining for things that are very <laughs> obvious. And I found myself skipping after. I was like, come on. Mm-hmm. And so there was that element. And then there is also this kind of lie of stealth in the game. And I had read, I think, like, in Game Inform or something, they were like, we wanted to make stealth a viable way to play. And I bought into that. And the beginning of the game, yeah, stealth is great, right? And basically, the last, like, three or four missions, there are multiple times where they force you into a wide-open conflict. And you can't hide. You can't. There's no stealth element. It's just you and a dude or boss Mm -hmm. in a room. And you're like, I'm not spec'd for this at all. I'm like, I was like four levels over the recommended level for the mission. And one of the bosses, so there's like normal, easy, and story. I had to put it down to story mode. Wow. To be able to beat this boss. Like at the last, like this is like the last 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And so the game kind of doesn't manage that super duper well. And I found myself like getting... Like, especially some of these bosses are big kind of robot dinosaurs. You get hit. Oh, and then you're stunned. And then they hit you again. And then you go, ah, and then you fly halfway across the other map. And it's like, I was a stealth character. Right? So I would say when you play this, just go full warrior mode. Um, But the game does so much better than the previous games. It took a lot of inspiration from Breath of the Wild in that you, you discover things. And I played it... There's like a uh, mode for do you want your HUD to be filled up with crap or not? And I turned that off. And they did a really nice job of like, I had no idea there was a mission. Walk over the hill. There's an entire city that's been collapsed and underwater or Hmm. village. And I had to rescue them and all this stuff. And it was this long, like 40-minute thing that played out. Had no idea. I mean, there might have been a mission request for it somewhere that I didn't go. But there was a lot of exploration stuff in it that I really loved like that. Um, it has also got this Sony thing that like they really want you to feel comfortable being able to platinum a game. And so if you really do all the stuff, which is not going to be that hard, you would platinum this game very easily. Okay. Um, and I think that really kind of helps you expose yourself to all the things that are in the game. Um, but man, there are some really stunning moments. Um and because their day-night lighting system is probably better than anyone I've ever seen, better than even like Red Dead 2s, mm-hmm. you kind of get in these moments where you're like, like you come upon like a, a enemy encampment, you kind of like see that people that are allied with you are fighting, so you join the fight, and then as the battle's going out, like the sun rises over, like as the battle is ending, and it's mm-hmm. just like really cool, really cool. Yeah. Um, man, I want to talk to you about cer- certain story beats. Yeah, because it's definitely on my list. I'll just say that. And also, like, I'm sorry. Am I supposed to be impressed by a 40 hour game? I'm sitting at 76 hours on Elden Ring right now. Nowhere clear. <laughs> like, I'm no. I have no idea if I'm ever gonna pass that game. <laughs> but like, the, what I, my understanding of Elden Ring is, the mind blowing per minute is really something. Like, you're just constantly, just every 
every four hours. It's like, how can this keep on going? And it does. It's insane. Insane. <laughs> okay. Cameron, if someone would like to talk to you about the best character builds in both Elden Ring and Horizon Forbidden West, where could they find you? That's all on Twitter, at Cameron underscore McCoy. I'm Matt Curtis now. Our official show feed is at SpikeFeedMTG. We will check you guys next week.